Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. And Cooper puts it in wide. Close by Bishop. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Welcome to the Here We Go podcast. Not dead, resting, and with a beautiful plumage. Uh, pining for the fjords is uh, Martin Clunas. Martin, uh, I know we approached the season saying we'd only do a pod if there was something worth talking about, uh, but had you reckoned of being quite so underwhelmed with things by the time April came round? No, I expected I expected things to be a little bit um, a little bit more upbeat, I suppose. Um, a little, but we can't, what we can say is that at least we're keeping it exciting. Um, we've got something. We've got we've certainly got something to play for this Saturday. Uh, yes, the old Jimmy Collywood Trophy is up for grabs this weekend. With us to discuss whether we'll reach that hallowed ground of the top six, um, or as uh, Jim Gooden rather worryingly put it at the weekend, keep the top six dream alive. I'm sorry, Jim, you're not at St Moon anymore. The top six shouldn't really be a dream. It's the cause of untold Martin Martin issues. It's uh, Martin Ingram. Martin, um, speaking of much-loved AFC institutions that have been enjoying a sabbatical lately, have you got any red final updates for us? Yeah, I was going to say that um, being away for a month or two is nothing compared to the length of sabbatical we've been enjoying. Um, not, nothing imminently on the horizon, but um, I assure you that if anything is forthcoming, you'll, you'll be the first to know. Okay, okay. That's uh, slightly disappointing, uh, but we will keep the pressure up, even if it is just a, a one-person campaign. And of course, it was a rather artistic license to suggest that uh, we also much love the AFC institution, but certainly the Red Final very much is. Uh, then, delighted to welcome Gillian Campbell onto the show. Gillian, um, we like to hear a bit about our contributors' AFC sporting history when they come on. Don't think of it as a test. Although clearly it very much is one. Um, but tell us how you first got introduced to the um, very occasionally mighty Dons. <laughs> um, well, my family are all really Aberdeen fans, apart from my dad. Um, my grandpa and my, my two uncles were Aberdeen fans. And I think my dad just rebelled and decided to follow Celtic instead. Uh, but myself and my brothers and my sister have all, all followed Aberdeen since we were kids. Uh, my uncle was based up in Ballater, so I regularly go to, to home games at Pataudry during the holidays, and, and more often than not, it was away games when they played in the central belt. So, yeah, it was slightly better times during the 80s and 90s when I was um, <laughs> when, I, when I started following the team, but uh, yeah, it's been a little bit more challenging to be a, a fan the last few years. It hasn't it just, hasn't it just? Well, Gillian, we'll be chatting a bit more with you later in the show. But for now, to Dundee on Saturday and uh, our most recently uh, squandered opportunity, a touch of redemption uh, to this godforsaken season. A careless 2-2 draw against the league's bottom club. Um, it's left our late push for the top six out of our hands, uh, despite, frankly, practically every other result going our way over the past few weeks. 
and even at half time on Saturday and Martin Ingram, it had looked fairly promising. And uh, it was really Calvin Ramsey giving us a reminder of, of the talents that he's got and, and perhaps showing with that left foot that uh, something we hadn't seen too much of before. Yeah, I'm glad that Calvin was having a bit more success on the field last weekend. I found it incredible the the roller coaster ride that he's had, at least in the eyes of some of some of the dandies on social media over the last few months. In the space of about 14 days, he went from uh, a player who we shouldn't accept less than 15 million pounds from in the January uh, transfer window to somebody that was. Um, absolutely terrible and shouldn't be in the team anymore. So, hopefully, what we're what we've been seeing from him the last few games is maybe something more approaching his normal form. And I think it was to be expected. I think he just had a bit of a knock of confidence, which is something again. I think Jack McKenzie on the other side has kind of suffered from, and unfortunately, it's seen him out of the team. But um, uh, there's he's, he's is he still only 18 years old right now? Um, he. There's clearly still an awful lot he needs to learn, especially on the defensive end of, of the park. But um, going forward, what an asset he is. And, and you're absolutely right. What we've been uh, accustomed to this season has been him um, either getting down the right flank to get crosses in or, or, or a set piece playing his right foot. But um, the, the, the fact that um, not, not only obviously for the goal and you know a cracking finish, but obviously he'd um, shown some intent by you know, doing exactly the same thing um, earlier in the first half, cutting in on his left foot and and and, and trying to shoot from outside the box. So you, you do wonder whether that's something uh, not not to I'm not want to rush in and give managers on undue credit. You know, only a few games into the job, but I do wonder whether that might be something that Jim Goodwin or at least the coaching the new coaching team might have been saying to him is if you're if you've got you know fullbacks or defenses that are either expect you not not to take them on or 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 to try and go down the touchline maybe maybe try cutting inside and you know trying to pressure them um in in inside and uh my word didn't it work i mean his uh his first effort tested the goalkeeper um and um i find it crazy that the dundee defense didn't react to that first opportunity because effectively for for the goal they just you know uh they kind of allowed him pretty freely just to run towards the edge of the box and, and, and try it again. And, and he certainly found his target this time around. So um, I don't know where he is now. So he was 15 million. He was then worthless. Maybe that goal's put him back in maybe about the 20, 25 million range. <laughs> but I suppose, Gillian, when you, if you're Dundee, if you're preparing for that game, you know, what you're telling your defenders to do is probably to show Calvin Ramsey on the inside because what he's shown so far is he's got a great right foot and can swing in brilliant crosses, large number of assists this season. He hadn't shown that he had that on his left foot. So I suppose, you know, from a preparation point of view, the Dundee defence were probably thinking, oh, we're doing the right thing. Absolutely, yeah. The analysts will have gone through... Um all of his games and looked at the deliveries and then seen that it's, it's been on that that, uh, that that side. So, so yeah, in, in terms of their preparation, they, they'd have thought they were doing the right thing. So uh, if that has been the conversation Jim Goodwin and his staff have had with him, then, then they've done the right thing as well, trying to, to make him harder to read. I mean, there are certain things, aren't there, Gillian, that young players absolutely have to have as an imperative if they're going to go far. And I think the thing about Calvin Ramsey, and to a degree... Connor Barron, that we'll, who we'll speak about a bit more later, have got is 
really, really good first touch, and that's been really evident all season long. But that his two-footedness, which is coming more to the fore now, again, that's something which is going to help him stand out from the crowd. Absolutely, it's a huge asset. And as Martin said, he's, he's a young player still. Um, I just remember watching that, that first game against Dumbarton in the Cup, and it was just a breath of fresh air to see him having a go at players and getting getting good crosses into the box. So, yeah, I'm intrigued to see how he develops. Um, it seems like he's getting given, given good information and, and hopefully he's now back to his, his best after a little confidence knock with the injury, etc. Can I just add, not to, again, I was giving Jim Gold, Godwin a bit, uh, Goodwin a bit of uh, early credit that you might not have deserved, but... Um, <laughs> I don't know if anybody was watching. I got really, really frustrated in general watching the Scotland under-20s perform last week um, in what was a bit of a dire performance. But there was an interview that um, uh, Ransom FA, another uh, Don's uh, supporter, uh, had with Calvin Ramsey. And it was interesting when he was talking about the fact that I was just when Gillian was mentioning that first game against Dumbarton where um, she's absolutely right. He really, really stood out and looked such a promising talent. But it was interesting in that interview that Calvin himself was saying over the summer he didn't really expect to get a chance in the first team. And he was asking about, you know, whether there might be possibilities to be loaned out and maybe get first team football elsewhere. But that it was Stephen Glass that, you know, actually kind of, you know, showed a lot of trust in him and giving him the first team opportunity and, and, and that he's kind of grabbed it and, and taken it on from there. So while, you know, I would probably be as bigger critic as anyone in relation to how this Stephen Glass era went and certainly in relation to how some of the signings went. The, the one thing you'd have to give him credit for is, um, you know, see the potential that uh, Calvin Ramsey had maybe with mm-hmm. that coaching background as well, rather than being a kind of a full-blown manager. And, you know, it's really paying dividends for us now. Absolutely. And, and thinking about it, it's his first season playing senior football and um, playing in a team where the results are not going well gives that, that added level of pressure that um, you'll not be used to. Uh, when things are going great, it's <laughs> it's easier to turn in performances, but, but we know um, a lot of this season, probably December being the exception, it's not been an easy time to be a, a Dons player. No, and if anything, Calvin's uh, displays have possibly mirrored the teams, Martin, Clunas and... I guess there's still question marks about his defending. It, it is, as uh, I suppose, the adage is uh, how how much are you prepared to tolerate, I suppose, um, as he learns the game defensively? Just to nip back to what um, Martin was saying there, let's let's remember, this, what, so one of the idiots that does this podcast, yes, it was me, thought that Calvin Ramsey would be competing for the right-back role with Jack Gurr this season. So um shows what I know. Um, and he's really, and he's really you know, when he's fit, he's made it his own. Always, always willing to call myself out when I get one absolutely stinking wrong, Richard. You know that. The, the, the worry I think that pe- people have, and I certainly do have as well with, with Ramsey, is that, you know, we, 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 you know, Martin joked earlier on about you know, the, the, the fee we're going to get for him, about 15 million or whatever, is that, you no, know, did, did they just cash in on him early? Um, like you've seen, you know, a certain club at Ibrox do with doing Nathan Patterson, where there's a guy that showed a bit of talent and they've cashed in on him. Um, I'd hope that Ramsey would maybe like to stay player, but as you say, he's nowhere near, he's nowhere near the finished product, and you want him to learn, you want him to get better, and hopefully under you know, under someone like Goodwin and the rest of the coaching team that that that'll come and that'll come from him. Well, the worry is that of course that defensively at the moment things aren't looking particularly good 
you, I would worry that that would maybe be a frustration for him, that he would maybe be looking elsewhere. Um, I would hope not, desperately hope not. Um, but we've seen it before with Aberdeen. We've seen it before with lots of other clubs where uh, young players can have their heads turned. But I would like to think that he would want to stay, he'd want to learn, get as close to being the finished article as he can be at Aberdeen. Gillian, do you see his future still at right back? I think so. Um, like we've mentioned a few times already, there's a bit of work to be done uh, defensively. Um, I, I hope he does stay the course and give it at least a few more seasons at Aberdeen and, and learn his trade. I think possibly we are defensively weak at the moment, there's no doubt. And certainly the two goals on, on Saturday felt like a lack of leadership um, back there. Um, so... Yeah, I think there's been other instances of Aberdeen players in the past uh, jumping at the chance to go down south a bit too early. I hope Calvin Ramsey wouldn't be in that in that position. Um, yeah, interested to see how that progresses. Um, but I think I think there's a lot to learn playing in this league, uh, and there are you know lots of good players round about him that that he can learn from, and hopefully he doesn't get too frustrated in that. <laughs> For, for the rest of us as Aberdeen fans as well, that we don't get too frustrated and the results start to, to, to improve a bit. Well, Gillian mentioned there about the lack of leadership at the back there. And, well, let's talk about different elements of that, I suppose. Bates and Gallagher have been Jim Goodwin's first choice in the half. So I think initially it was almost out of necessity. Um, he removed Ross McCurry from the centre-back position, moved him into centre-midfield, but obviously Scott Brown departing, and we'll talk a bit about that uh, later. But Martin Cleaners, to me, Bates and Gallagher both seem as if they're reactive defenders, rather than either of them wanting to take charge in a defensive situation. I don't know how you see it. I would absolutely agree with that. I think they're both the type of player that would need a steadier head next to them, I suppose you would call it. There seems to be a, a lack of composure in them. I mean, there was a you know, just silly things like there's a point on Saturday where Bates, I think it was Bates, or it was, no, it was Gallagher, sorry. He beat three men and then he just passed the ball three yards to a Dundee player. Goodwin is doing doing the best he can with the tools he's got. You know, he's not able to go out and get anybody else at the moment. So understand, he's he's gone with these two. Um, he's praised them as well when when they've done they've had decent games. And he's he's obviously trying to build up, you know, build their confidence up, build build up that partnership. You no, know, again, hopefully it works. You just don't see them taking taking charge in defence. Neither of them look remotely like a like you would call a you know, a captain or a leader at the back. Um, and I think part that's part of the reason why we've been we've been leaking goals and we um, ha, you know, haven't kept a clean sheet in so long because they don't seem to communicate very well. I think that. They find themselves really in like in the dangerous positions. I mean, the second goal on Saturday, te- textbook definition of that. The goals we conceded on Saturday were obviously both set pieces, and um, Gillian, you're possibly well placed to talk about this. But you know, t- teams will have plans. There'll be there'll be plans made. Individuals will be asked to mark other individuals. Collectively, surely, there's still a responsibility on, on doing the right thing, on, on marking an area, even if it is a man-for-man marking situation you, you elect to go for. It just seemed that there were overloads in in certain parts of the box for both of those goals we conceded on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. It was it's frustration to watch uh, at any time losing from a set play like that, um, but, but twice in one game. The deliveries were good, but... Yeah, yeah. For me, there was a, a lack of taking responsibility from those set plays. The, it, the players, it's made very clear to them. It's it's one you can plan for. 
uh, who's who's picking up which runners, um, or or it might be a, a mixed model of, of like you say covering an area, uh, zonally. But it's very clear what your responsibilities are, so that they, these sort of mistakes shouldn't shouldn't happen so easily. Not not twice in one game. Yeah, I think it comes back a little bit to, to a bit of a leader organizer back there, perhaps. Um, I know uh, we've got Considine fitting back on the bench, and I know it's it's not at the stage in his career the long term option, but but he might bring that in a centre half position if he was to play alongside Bates, for example. But yeah, I, I find that those sort of situations, losing, conceding from um, the first free kick shouldn't have been a, a free kick at all. But but even still, we need to defend those better and take responsibility. And I think I could sense Jim Goodwin's frustration at the end of the game when he was talking about the defending of those set plays. Yeah, because it is something clearly they will spend a, a good amount of time on a training ground trying to figure out. Something we haven't spoken about, the sort of ghost at the feast so far, uh, Martin Ingram, is uh, the Joe Lewis question. Now, he took a lot of stick that I could see online for the goals he concedes on Saturday. I think if you take those goals in isolation, I think that's a bit unfair. I think, as Julian points out, the deliveries are good. And by that, I mean the deliveries are in an area which... I don't think Joe Lewis can actually come out and get. However, you know, maybe someone is a bit more commanding, maybe someone is a bit bit more in form, I suppose, than Joe currently comes out, is a bit more authoritative and maybe claims at least one of those. Yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, you, you guys have already kind of covered the, the difficulty with regards to what's going on in central defence and... Um, it's it's so hard to isolate exactly what the what the main issue is because obviously pin some of the blame to Bates and Gallagher, but for for both of the goals you could argue really that the the the, the, the player that's failed in terms of their man marking um, opportunity was probably Lewis Ferguson rather than any of the two centre halves. But you know in in terms of how Joe Lewis is going on, it's it's so hard because if you don't have the confidence of the defensive structure in front of you, you know, which, you know, we haven't had a clean sheet for four months now, unless you're counting Edinburgh City in the cup. Um, and it, I think it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle because I think Joe, Joe Lewis had said himself at, his, at the time that he was, you know, last struggling for form to the, to the extent that he got dropped out of the team. Um, I think one of the things he pinpointed was Andy Considine getting injured so early in the season and just losing somebody in front of you who you had trust in to be able to, you know, um, organise the defence in front of you and, and, and deal with matters. And I think he's clearly suffered as a consequence. So when you're then saying, well, is it Bates or Gallagher or, or Joe Lewis? You know, I think the the reality is it's probably a combination of all of that. But um, you do... You do wonder what the future holds for Joe. He's still he's still under contract. I think you, you you posted the contract terms on your Twitter feed earlier today, so I think it was saying he's still got a couple of years left in his contract. Um, but I, the rumours that Jim Goodwin is looking for um, other potential keepers to come in to challenge Joe Lewis doesn't surprise me in the slightest, um, because you know he's kind of caught betwixt and between in relation to a lot. Of, I mean, the, you know the the, the second goal was a great example of that. What what exactly was he doing? He wasn't he wasn't on his line. He has he wasn't coming out to deal with the with the the, the cross ball. So you're kind of in no man's land and doing nothing. Um, his um, I'm stealing stealing your stat here, but I think it was mentioned on um, 
uh, maybe sports scene beforehand or, or on, on Radio Scotland, but, you know, currently with the lowest shot stopping rate in, in the entire league. So if he's, if he's doing the worst at that and he's also not commanding his box and he's also not coming out and dealing with threats from, 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 from long balls or crosses, what, what, what is he doing? I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Jim Goodwin isn't looking at least for somebody to compete with Joe Lewis next season, but maybe longer term, just flat somebody to replace him. The, the other thing I was wondering, because I remember there was a, I think when, when they were talking about um, potentially making changes to the coaching staff and maybe having um, the, maybe our, uh, the, goalkeeping coach might be something that was available um, a lot of people were maybe jumping to the conclusion that might have been Jamie Langfield coming back although Jamie himself was pretty quick to say there wasn't any truth to that this might be very much out, out of the box thinking but I actually wondered is you know he's only 34 but might that be something that Goodwin's maybe considering pitching to, to, to Lewis bringing somebody else still to compete with him for the first team job but potentially involving Joe Lewis in a almost a kind of a half assistant goalkeeping coach half reserve goalkeeping role i i don't know maybe maybe a long way off with that one but um it, you know it would be interesting to see how that pans out uh mark clean so we because of our you know admiration for joe with what he's done in the past are, are we maybe clinging him too closely to our chests at times um when really the the humane thing to do would be to take him to the vets and and uh get him the injection <laughs> Um, I think that there's been points this season when we've done this very podcast that I think we we absolutely have been like that. Um, now, I think that it's it it's it's probably no. I think that at the very least a, a a good quality backup is needed to come in as well to, that will challenge him. Uh, Woods isn't is no use. Um, we, we know that he's it's no he's not he's not. I don't know what question he is the answer to. If we're being if we're being totally honest, um, had that been a twenty one year old goalkeeper that's just came in at the start of the season and was dropping dropping mis- you know mistakes like that, you know there would be bloody murder being screamed and we'd be wanting rid of him. As much credit as he has in the bank, a lot of it's worn away, and it was last season as well. This isn't this isn't sort of a new thing. That's just this season he's suddenly you know, started to struggle. Mm-hmm. A few howlers last season as well, and that and that's that's worrying. Um, Still so, twenty, still twenty clean sheets last season, though. There was, there, I, I know that, but there was, there were some pretty, yeah, there were some, there was some definitely some terrible individual mistakes, and yeah. you know, find me a keeper that hasn't had those, I suppose, might be the retort to that. But, oh, yeah. uh, but no, you, you're absolutely right. It's the days of him saving more points than costing us are, are, are maybe a couple of years in the past now, and that's uh, at the heart of my original question, I suppose. It's difficult, isn't it, when the team are not doing well, and and like you say, there, there's maybe the, the the lack of trust in uh, in in the back line in front of you. Uh, the the goalkeeper has it has it worst, and that that cliche of winning becoming a habit. The opposite's true, and uh, you know how many times a season have we looked to Aberdeen and said, we deserve something from that game. We deserve the three points, not just one. Um, so, so it's very difficult. Uh, like, like, I think you worded it very nicely there. He's got a lot of credit in the bank with, with a lot of us fans and a, a lot of time for Joe Lewis, but I think we really do need to have, have somebody else there now, whether it is a, a very good backup or somebody to come straight in as number one. A lot of that game is played between the ears, obviously, Gillian, and really the mentality of this side was to the fore again on Saturday because after retaking a lead, very nicely finished goal by Ross McCrory, 
you're thinking 10 minutes to go against a team in absolute dire straits, bottom of the league, surely deflated at the fact that you know they've conceded again, gone behind again, surely we're going to see this out. But no, yet again, they can't even keep them out. I mean, it was, what, three minutes, I think, between our second and their second? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, we've already talked about the nature of the goals as well. But, uh, and I was praising the mentality the week before against Hibs, you know, losing the, the early goal in the circumstances that we did to, to, to come back and get a good win there. Um, but yeah, really, really disappointed to lose two so quickly after going ahead twice. If that was Saturday at Dens, it's um, it's a result pretty much in keeping with the first few weeks of uh, Jim Goodwin's tenure. And as um, we haven't been here for the past few weeks to to kind of pour over in detail, I thought it was worth just going back and catching up with kind of where we think we are, generally speaking. Because six games in, I suppose really, if you want to be charitable, arguably just five that he's really had a direct influence in. He obviously had the Motherwell game right at the outset, which he was in a dugout for, but didn't select a team and uh, probably didn't have very much to do with the tactics. Uh, but no clean sheets, no away wins. That one win against the Hibs side who, you know, speaking about mentality, well, you can find the one team in Scotland who are always going to have a weaker mentality than you, that's Hibs. Martin Ingram, just a continuation of so much we'd seen. And is it wrong to expect anything more with the squad of players he's got? It's just my thinking that the two successful Aberdeen managers of the last 20 years, so that's Jimmy Caldwood and Derek McInnes, were both able to turn around teams who had really struggled up until that point and did it with more or less the same squad of players and was able to get much better performances out the out the sort of key players that he inherited? Yes and no. Um, the, 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 the one thing that I think we can't get too far away from when you're talking about did they manage to do it with the players they more or less inherited, Bo- both Calderwood and McInnes were given an opportunity. Okay, McInnes had to wait until you know the, the end of the, 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 the kind of the, the post-split run of fixtures before he got an opportunity. But they were both given an opportunity to bring in the players that they wanted to bring in as well. I think it was a lot of Jimmy Calderwood's former Dunfermline players. Scott Severin came in pretty early as well. Similar with McInnes, um, I think the first thing he did was, um, you know, they actually got rid of quite a number of the, the, the players that were out of contract at the club. And then, you know, you can remember bringing, you know, the likes of real character players like, you know, Barry, Barry Robson being a kind of a standout Willow Flood coming in. So so it wasn't as if they just worked magic with the squad that they had. But um, coming back to your original question, should should we, should we be doing better with the squad that we have? Absolutely. Um, even as badly as the season has gone and, and the fact, I mean, it, it should be, it should be, even though it was a season where we had a, a, a new manager coming in before that, I don't think anyone's expectations were that, were that we would be still struggling in the bottom half of the table with a game to go before the split. This is clearly a squad as it sits right now that should still be more than capable of at least being in the top six. And you're absolutely right, being in the top six shouldn't be the dream or aspiration. That maybe just shows how how low the the the, the aspiration levels now become. That you know we're just we're just, just hoping that we can get ourselves definitively clear of a relegation struggle by you know full time on Saturday but um the, the 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 squad is capable of doing that the ability is certainly there what what i would concede is that it's still a bit too early to be judging jim goodwin in relation to what he's doing the one the one thing i would give him credit for is he's i think he's pretty quickly assessed 
the capability of the squad and the players that he's got in front of him. He's actually, you know, although he's only been in for a half a dozen games, that's already a couple of games in a row that he settled on effectively, you know, his first choice of 11. Um, he's got a 4-3-3 play. Still questions in relation to who might or might not be playing that, that, that I thought would have come in were with the um, Andy Considine and, and, and Marley Watkins both coming back into fitness and at what stage um, he felt they had enough you know, game time in them or enough match day fitness for him to come back into the team. So I think he's fairly quickly settled on the way he wants to play it right now, the players that he thinks he trusts. It's interesting that two of those guys that are out of contract at the end of the season in, in Funzo Ojo and Dylan McGee don't seem to be part of that. Um, so I think he's, I think that's a, a, an early indication of some of the players that he doesn't necessarily have trust in from what he's seen and may not be here after in the summer. The big question after that, of course, is 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 what happens after the season is ended and is maybe a bit too early to be even speaking about that. As you say, in, in well, as I say rather, in in a few days' time, we're either talking about um, still being in the run for a European spot or trying to fend the St. Johnsons and St. Mirrens of the world off. Some of it is depend. Some of it comes down to will he be given the similar opportunity to what Calderwood and McInnes had in, in going out and getting the players he wants to bring into the team. Will the players that are currently at the team still be here? Will we be looking at a, an environment which is post Lewis Ferguson, post Calvin Ramsey? You know, all those things are still uh, to be decided. But um, right now, um, I think he's maybe not doing the best that he can with the squad that he has, but um, it at least has the makings of a team that I still think should be expecting to finish fourth in, this, in, in, in the league, notwithstanding what happens on Saturday. Well, of course, uh, Martin Clunas, it probably is wrong of us to expect too much with um, with players that aren't his players. However, it's not just us that are kind of had big expectations, is it? Because the man himself said that uh, the defending would be easy to sort out. It's um, proved really that to be anything but... When he, when he said that, you know, we were, I think most of us were turning cartwheels really just because we had we had we'd seen the problems in the, going on so far this season. Um, it's, it's it turned out to be a bigger job than he obviously realised in terms of getting that defence going. But he's he's got a squad that he's you know, he's pretty much stuck with at the moment. McCrory is better off in midfield. Um, I, I think that anyway. Um, so we, we've only really got um, Bates and Gallagher to go there. I mean, you know, Considine is fit enough to be in the squad, but he's not come on, so we don't know. We don't know where he is really in terms of actual, you know, match fitness. Um, so there's no, and you know, there's no point even mentioning Michael Michael Devlin. So um, we're basically we're we're kind of we're sitting with those two. It's he's obviously trying trying to do what he can with them. We can't really kind of call what's going to happen in the summer, but it will be interesting to see if he does look at does look at more you know, more defenders. Um, or centre halves. That's where the that's where the problems seem to be at the moment. You know, Bates when he came in, I think there was a little bit of um, a little bit of excitement. Really, I thought because you know there is a no, there is a decent player there. He struggled to find himself in a game, but again, if you're, when you're in a struggling team, that's what tends to happen. Um, you know, when everybody's low on confidence, that looks that tends what what that's what tends to happen. I don't want to criticise Goodwin too much just yet. Had he you no, know, had he been able to maybe make some moves of his own. In terms of bringing players in anyway, then I think we could maybe be a lot more critical. But the the priority right now is, of course, is Saturday. Seeing what he seeing what moves he makes in the in the transfer window, or even before then, in terms of you know players who maybe be told they won't be staying around. 
that'll be that'll be a thing where we can start maybe judging him. So this is really back to Martin, back to you again, I suppose, uh, Martin Clunas. Are we running the risk of almost repeating what we did last year in a way of of just saying that the rest of the season, you know, say we draw on Saturday, the rest of the season doesn't really matter as long as we don't get relegated. It's all about his clean start with his players next season. Because again, there's stuff to play for this season, surely. This Saturday is, is the biggest game of the season because you joke about the top six trophy. You don't want to be in the bottom six. You want to get in the top six and there's the opportunity to try and get in, try, still try to get into Europe. We've got a bro- no, and we've got a brilliant chance on Saturday because Hibs are Hibs, as you as you mentioned. You know, Hibs will absolutely one hundred percent Hibs it on Saturday, which means we have to just take care of our business. So that's that, that's the big game on Saturday. Do that, and then you can then we can sort of concentrate on the on you know the rest of the season. Even if God forbid the worst happens on Saturday. It isn't just a case of right. Let's just get to the end of the season and not go down because there's stuff to be played for. There's money. There's prize money to be played for. Probably players in the team that are playing for their their futures at Aberdeen. Um, so it isn't just as simple as give him a, give him a free pass and we'll we'll judge him next season. Of course not. Um, we, I think that hap- I think that certainly happened last season. It's 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 too important this se- it's too important this season. We're in a position where we 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 need a, we need a win. And then we we need to get get up as far up this table as we possibly can after that. Well, one statement of intent, Gillian, from the manager has been that Connor Barron has started every game, uh, that uh, that Jim Goodwin has been here as a young player. I mean, very often, if you get a start, maybe it's uh, in a less important part of the pitch and right slap bang in the centre of midfield. But uh, Connor's come in; he's done him, he's done himself proud. Yeah, he's been a, a real positive this uh, last few months since coming back from his loan. Um, yeah, he's he's been a, a breath of fresh air. Um, and obviously Jim Goodwin also rates him. He's getting starts. Um, as Martin said there, he's Jim Goodwin seems to have settled pretty much on a start and a living and corners in amongst that, which is great to see. Um, so I think he is a coach that will give good young players a, a chance in that team. And I agree with Martin as well. Having McCrory back in midfield for me is where I want him to be. I think it's always good to have some players with a bit of uh, flexibility that can, can slot in when we have defensive uh, injuries like like we've had this last year. But uh, yeah, I, I think there's, there's some there are some positives. You know, um, it's not all doom and gloom. Jim Goodwill have come in and assessed what what he's got there, and I think defensively and and goalkeeper that there are things to sort out. But there are lots of positives in the attacking areas. I think. Martin Ingram, are you going to offer any dissent on the the Ross McCurry question? Not at all, but hopefully I can uh, provide a little bit more illumination and where I, where I think things went wrong with the previous regime. And uh, um, it's not going to surprise you that um, part of this will be critical of Scott Brown. Um, I think it was always a problem that when Stephen Class came in, that appointment was so intertwined with Scott Brown in not only that kind of high profile, you know, coach slash player role, but also once he was once he was brought in and he was made captain of the club, he's you've got he's got to play. And where's he gonna play? It's gonna be bang in the centre of midfield. Um and while I don't necessarily want to be too negative about you know, I think I, I if you were being generous, Scott Brown is probably one of the few signings that were brought in that, that hasn't really been, that wouldn't be really judged as a failure in its own right. But the knock-on consequence of that was um, by him being in that role, it meant 
Ross McCrory, who had been in that role and was, you know, that kind of main figure in central midfield along alongside Lewis Ferguson, was no longer able to do that. And it, it, it's maybe unfair to entirely blame it on that setup change because obviously once Sandy Considine became unavailable, it's been, you know, it was it was probably seen as the the least worst option to bring McCrory back into central defence just to try and find some kind of combination that you could keep playing. But um, I don't think there was many people, even at the time, but certainly not now, who would think that um, anything other than you know McCrory's preferred position is exactly where he's playing right now. And again, you know, it's 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 kind of incredible, but I was reliably informed by my uh, red final. Uh, colleague uh, and and friend Chris Crichton that throughout the entire glass regime Ross McCrawley didn't play a single game in midfield and you know now as soon as the the old regime is out of the way and um, the, the the Goodwin regime is back in you know effectively he's been straight back into that position and for me you know entrusting Connor Barron who I think is actually it's almost in, an, an embarrassing for the rest of the squad, how much Connor Barron has stood out in this team since he's come into it. I think he's been one of the standout players in in the squad, which again for a young guy is it's a it's a real testament to him. But you know, you could argue he's really showing up some of his colleagues. But um, it's one thing I would definitely say is, is with, with 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 Goodwin. I think he's identified a lot of the right talent play, and, and is playing it in the right places. Our best midfield, I think, is that three of Barron, Ferguson, and McCrory. Now there's always still other issues and you know central defense and, and goalkeeper it's not necessarily clicking in f- up, up up front either but um i think you can do worse than start by picking your best players in your in, in their best positions and um uh mccrory in the center of midfield as part of that group is, is definitely where he sh- it's where he should have been playing the entirety of last season and it's definitely where he should be playing going forward hmm. i'm not sure i'm quite so sold on him as an out and out center midfielder i think he has limitations in both positions but I think his centre-half limitations are perhaps uh, more readily offset by a centre-half partner who can offer more of what he lacks. Anyway let's just sit on Scott Brown for a second because I I, I think Martin would like an opportunity I'm sure to to wave him goodbye. Both of us were against against the move at the start of the season (laughs) Um, so I think that I'll be honest. I'm glad. I'm glad to see the back of it. To be honest, I didn't want the signing in the first place. Jim Goodwin said all the right things about, you know, I'm a control freak, freak, and I want to have my own people and all this kind of stuff. But um, I think that Goodwin realised that having a guy who, at times in our midfield, has been a passenger. Yes, there's been. Yes, he did really well for some set pieces at early part of the season, and yes, we're very thankful for the goal against uh, Rangers at Ibrox. But he's not been good enough. Um, it's 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 as simple as that. I've been I've been frustrated with him all season. I wanted more from him. Um, I'm, I was frustrated with the two mysterious injuries when he would had to get had to get his applause going off against Celtic, um, only to be fine for the next game after it. I think it was the wrong sign in for Aberdeen to make. Normally you would say thanks thanks but see you later. But I wouldn't I don't even I wouldn't even want to thank him. Um, but you're not that classy. Is what you're I'm saying. not that I'm not that classy. No, I just I know I don't want to. I, I I'm gl- I hope that the the topic of him never darkens our door again. I mean I've said. What I'm, about the manner in which What about the manner in which he left? Just well, to... I'll, I'll, I'll say I'll say just one final one final thing first. Is like I, I think I've said it before in here as well, and I'll stand by it. Um, no, the criticism Lewis Ferguson's had this season um, has been 
shocking from some of the, some sections of our support. That is that the, the Lewis Ferguson's anything that's gone wrong with Lewis Ferguson this season is purely down to playing alongside Scott Brown. Uh, you want to see the best of Lewis Ferguson. Don't have a guy who can't run standing next to him, where Lewis Ferguson's got to do all the work for him. Specifically on the point about him, you know, being this great leader of men, but leaving the campaign midway through when you know we could still have gone down. We can still go down at this point, even with six games to go. I think that's the mark of a, the mark of a man. He's a flat track bully. As soon as it, things were look, things were looking difficult. Uh, and you know, rather than saying no, I want to stay and fight. I want to stay. You no, know, even if I'm sitting on the bench or not starting games, you no, know, I want to stay and I want to battle for my place, Jim. You no, know, I want to show you. You no, know, I want to show you that you no, know, I've got the mentality for this. But he didn't. He, instead, instead, he was happy. He was happy to go. Gillian, do you think that would have been entirely Scott Brown's call, or do you think this is just a solution that works for Jim Goodwin as much as anybody else? I think Jim Goodwin's been honest with him and said, listen, I'm a kind of hands-on coach. Um, everybody's slightly different way in, the way in the way they work. Um, and that Scott Brown's opportunities to, to get involved in the coaching are going to be limited. And that is, I believe, why he went to Aberdeen. Um, I agree. I think it was the right thing for him to move on. There were a couple of, couple of highlights. Um, I guess what we don't see is what happens on the training pitch. Was he able, able to impart any sort of... Um, knowledge on the, on the training pitch to the other players round about him. I don't know. Um, certainly I was a little bit underwhelmed towards the end of his tenure as an Aberdeen player. I, it did look like a player whose legs had, had gone. And I think I think you're right. I think Ferguson and McCrory, were, their, their game was uh, was affected negatively by, by, by Scott Brown being on the pitch because they weren't able to play their, their own game. And I think Ferguson's been really good of late, as is McCrory. So... Yeah, I, I think it was the right move in the end for him to leave. Uh, if, if that's what he wanted to do, was to progress his coaching opportunity, and that wasn't going to be an option here. Okay, let's speculate a little bit about the future uh, and what that might look like. Because Martin, you, Martin Ingram, rather, you picked up earlier that um, we hadn't seen anything from. Um, I don't think Dylan McGeer has had any minutes, uh, and Funzojo, I think the same, maybe just a handful, under Jim Goodwin. And they're both out of contract this summer. I think the other question mark is uh, Andy Considine, who is also out of contract this summer. Dispatches from Richard Gordon at the weekend that there's a hitch, uh, an unnamed hitch uh, with the Andy Considine deal for him to stay on beyond the end of the season. Um, you got any worries or would you maybe think it's the right thing for him to call time in his Aberdeen career? It's hard from the outside looking in to know whether now's the right time for that or not. I think obviously Andy himself, but the coaching staff around him will will have the best knowledge of how close to getting back to match fitness he really is. Because although he has now come back, he's had a bit of playing time. It's been it's been a long time since he was playing regular ninety minute football, and maybe I I had suspected as, as I mentioned earlier I thought maybe one of the only kind of tweaks to the starting 11 that um, Goodwin's now landed up was whether he would be looking to bring Considine back into the team um, I uh, ran one of my exciting Twitter polls to actually see what people's views were on Andy Considine with regards to whether they wanted him back or not from that very very um, anecdotal perspective it seemed marginally more people 
wanted him back in the team than didn't, but nobody was really clear who he should be coming in for. Would he come in for Bates? Would he come in for Gallagher? Or even, you know, I think less people were seeing him, you know, in another position other than that. But the fact, you know, I would have thought given, I thought a lot of people were, were, were thinking, oh, well, you know, Bates and Gallagher have been playing as a partnership for a while, give them a bit of time. But, you know, it's not it's not like they're doing well, you know, again, you know, as we've, we've said beforehand, you know, the, it's not like um, we're, we're, we're grinding out results and getting clean sheets out of that combination. It's not, it's not really working that effectively. So I would have thought that if Andy was genuinely close to being not only match fit, but, you know, the player on the training ground that you'd expect to see, then he'd have been probably back in the team. And the fact that hasn't happened quite as early as I, or, or you know, maybe not early, but hasn't, hasn't quite happened yet, maybe says a lot. So, you know, he's not getting any younger. And if, if it is the case that we are now maybe looking at the, the tail end of his career now, then, you know, that's that's maybe... Is is that now Andy's decision? Or is that now Jim's decision? Because, you know, if he's looking at what, what he's getting from him and thinking he's not good enough, I think maybe similar to the situation with Scott Brown, you know, I, I'd like to think that he maybe has the courage of his convictions that if he really doesn't think, I'd be surprised if it would be the case, but if he really doesn't think Andy has much left to contribute in the first team, I wouldn't I wouldn't like to think we'd be offering him an, an additional contract just out, you know, just out of um, sympathy. But I'd like to think that while, you know, the long-term solution can't be Andy Constant, I think we, we, we have to now be looking at what what further recruitment we can get in, or, or or which of the players, you know, is is a Mason Hancock ready yet to kind of be pushed through from the youth ranks and get more game time? But you know, the long term future needs to be somebody else. I I would have still thought there'd be enough value in Andy Considine still being at the club, maybe getting a year extension because the other important thing, regardless of what you're getting on the pitch, others would disagree, but I think there is some value in having a person within the clubhouse who effectively, for want of a better word, ex- exemplifies the the, the, the the club's standards. You know, someone, I don't think you'd ever say that he was someone that would be shirking from, you know, I imagine he's that kind of, you know, first in the training ground, last to leave, you know, you know his, his physical preparedness has never been in doubt. And I think there is some value in, you know, having someone remain in the club who can provide that standard and expectation level of what it means to be a professional at the club. So even even if it's not a playing, you know, or, you know, as in game time on the pitch going forward, I think there is still value in him still being involved in the club. And again, similar as what I was saying with Joe Lewis beforehand, maybe even in some official or unofficial coaching capacity going forward. But whatever he decides, and hopefully it is still his decision at the end of the day, I wish him the best. Again, Gillian, we should say that this is nothing more than speculation on our part, but the the prospect of him having maybe to prove himself to a new manager again and Jim Goodwin, one who maybe thinks that he might be able to upgrade an Andy Consonant, and notwithstanding the fact that, yes, he has just turned, turned 35 now, it seems like that's basically been the story of his Aberdeen career in a lot of respects. He's had to prove himself time and time again. It seemed that every season under Derek McInnes would start with, you know, someone would be brought in to replace Andy Considine in the position that he was playing in, whether that be left back or centre half. And after about half a dozen games of every season, Andy Considine would be back in that team and performing and performing well. Like I say, he's another player that I have so much time and respect for. 
Um, I was delighted when he finally got his, his Scotland call up so late in his career. I think I think there's the issue of his age, but you know, um, bear in mind that an ACL is a really tricky injury. I think in the women's game we have proportionately a lot more, and I've I've seen uh, how difficult it is to come back from that. Even just in your confidence levels. So there's a match fitness for sure, but uh, just how how the how he's going to react it to overcoming that injury. Um, and, and hopefully he's able to prove himself in the training pitch enough for uh, to give Jim Goodman confidence to to give him a shot because like you say he time after time he, he's proven himself he's been hat trick hero and, and and saved us many a time um and yeah like I say he's Aberdeen through and through and a hundred percent agree with what Martin said there you need you need guys like that in in the dressing room you need guys like that around the club a uh, really good influence an excellent role model. But I would like to see him and get, get some more game time before he finishes up and get to finish his career on his own terms. Uh, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see how that pans out. Okay, so this uh, this segment... <laughs> yeah, this is an additional segment. This is a bit that um, we needed to add in extra because big news broke on Tuesday evening and then was followed up by the club on Wednesday with their... Statement. Now, there'd been whispers, hints about Andy Considine, uh, his contract. I think I, you know, I did try and allude to that during the course of the, the wider conversation we had in the podcast. Um, but there was there was nothing concrete coming out. Um, but there were certainly some whisperings that things weren't quite right. Um, so uh, basically, with Andy Considine, that's it. After 20 years, so long. Good luck. Um, I don't I don't recall them saying good luck. Perfect, perfect. You got it. That wasn't staged. Thank you. After we finished recording last night, the um, the WhatsApp ASC kind of went in overdrive, and there was a lot of rumours flying around. But this was obviously just before the story broke um, from the record, and I think it was the Express. And um, you know that was the main thing that was you know that it's been going to be announced later in the week. And it's a, it's a bit it's a bit classless um, the way it's unfolded today. I don't like to see it. Like I say, he's been at the club all these years. You know, a wider point is this is something that's became a bit of a motif of Dave Dave Cormack's um, stewardship of the club, where these things are getting leaked left, right, and centre. Um, you know, before you know you would very rarely, you would get a rumour here and there, but this just seems to be everything now is coming out. You know, now whether this has came from Andy Constein's agent, which is probably likely, um, or whether it's came from you know, Andy Constein himself, probably unlikely, um, or someone in someone in the club who's maybe seen some of the paperwork. There's a chance of that being as well. It, it just it just leaves it's, the situation leaves a bad taste. You know, he was all he was going to leave at some point as a player anyway, um, and to see it to see it unfold like this is just it leaves a it leaves a horrible taste in your mouth. Yeah, I think we we spoken about the ins and outs of Considine as a player and his merits of the squad in the main podcast. So we'll leave that, we'll let that stand. But just again to go through the sequence of events. I mean, on Saturday, Richard Gordon's column in the P and J basically mm-hmm. said there were there were some hitches to getting the deal done, which focused in on the length of the deal. And you thought there would be some negotiation around that. For example, the last deal that Andy Considine signed was a two-year deal with a one-year extension based on um, hitting a certain number of appearances, which he comfortably made. Um, and then Tuesday night, obviously, Scott Burns, the man who's had every coming and going at Pitaudry in the last five years, yeah, co- comes out with the fact. And the, the important thing, I think, about 
what was in that piece in the record and the Daily Express. I mean, it's the same copy, essentially, that, that Scott's put in. It, it, it's just a statement. There's no spin there. There's no spin from Andy Considine's agent or Andy Considine or whoever it's come from. It's just a statement that the offer's been withdrawn. And that's turned out to be factually absolutely correct. Now, of course, all of this, as we said during the podcast, all of this is entirely the manager's prerogative on how he wants to build his squad. But today's statement, it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, the claim that Andy Considine has thrown the club under a bus when really all that's happened is that a decision that you took has been released ahead of the club's messaging. I'm not really sure how that constitutes throwing a club under a bus, but by certainly by releasing confidential details of the negotiations that you've had with Andy, his wage demands, your initial offer... You seem, as a club, pretty keen to do likewise to Andy and his agent. It's not a good statement. No, it isn't, and that's that's what that's what I don't like about it. It's like again, you know, and as I suppose I'll caveat it with, you know, earlier this season I did I did say stuff about you no know, Scott Brown's came here. Scott Brown's earning a lot of money. I don't really care what the players earn. You know, it doesn't. It makes no difference to me. Uh, it made even less difference to me when there was all these stupid rumours going about about what Derek McInnes's manager was earning. Do not care, and this, but this idea of putting this in the statement about saying that they'd offered him, you know, a six-figure guarantee, a competitive package, whatever it was, um, coaching badges and that sort of stuff. I just, I don't see why, I don't see why that needed to be in there. And it's a deliberate way a lot of that has been has been phrased as well. The six-figure guaranteed deal. That's to you know make it sound bigger in people's eyes. Essentially, it's two grand a week is what yeah. that that that's going to equate to, which is going to be. I'm absolutely certain less than what he's currently got. We don't, again, we we don't have a huge amount to go on here, but we know that, you know, Sporting Intelligence, they run annual salary surveys of sports teams. The last one that was released and conducted was for 2019. The average salary of a first-team player for Aberdeen in 2019 was £2,700 uh, a week. So... Say Andy was on maybe a little bit more than that as a senior first-team player on his last deal. Now, the expectation would be that this deal would be less. I think that's that's entirely understandable, um, Martin, and we spoke about that in the main podcast. You know, we wouldn't maybe expect him at 35 to be playing week in, week out. I think as an opening gambit, two grand a week would probably be would probably be fine. To then come and say that, oh, your agent is coming in and asking for 50% more... Again, it's being phrased in that way to make it look as, as if it's overly exorbitant. But really what we're looking at is the difference between 2K and 3K in all likelihood, which might still be beneath what he's currently on. Now, you know, you or I, if we get a new contract, we don't want to be earning less than what we're currently on. And it's purely just standard agent tactics that you're going to negotiate the opening offer. Yeah, I mean, the the only people that will know this, I mean, is the guys that were in the room or the, the, the men or women that were in the room, sorry, at the time when it was being spoken about. Um, and so, you know, but again, we're just doing, we're going to do what everybody else does and we're going to try and surmise and say that, you know, yeah, the agent's going to come back and say, how about this, you know, would like this. And there would be, and what we'll have to remember is that it was only a few weeks ago that we were told it was, crossing the T's and dotting the I's needed to be done. Um, and so I, I find it hard to believe, you know, as much as no, we know we know what age, football agents can be like. Um, I find it hard to believe that suddenly it's it's gone from crossing the T's and dotting the I's to 
to just a complete breakdown because the managers came in and demanded, you know, oh, sorry, the manager, the agent, sorry, has came in and demanded an extra 50% on top of that. I mean, I, I no, personally would find that hard to believe, willing to be wrong, of course, but um, it, it does seem strange. It's the omission as well in that statement. Like, if there had been negotiations, the club would have put that in because it looks favourably to the club that they have negotiated on it. It's not there. It's a bit like with the sponsorship deal that they announced today. If that figure had been more than the last Saltire one, it would have been record-breaking new sponsorship deal would yeah. have been in that statement. It's not. Therefore, we know that the new figure is less than the last Saltire one. And again, entirely within their rights to walk away at, at that point. It's a, you know, it's it's a contractual negotiating tactic. But where is the effort to negotiate? If if it was just a case of, as you say, dotting the i's and crossing the t, where is that effort to negotiate to keep a guy at the club who's been here for 18 years? Um, own the decision is what I'm saying. Don't try and put a statement out like this, which. Um, you know, invites the fans to blame the big bad agent. Well, that's 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 what it is. It's it's batting it back in the court of the you no know, the the agent making them look bad and and by by proxy it also makes makes Andy Constein look a bit bad as well, which I think is you know is is very unfair. Yeah, and of course, as we've seen with you know, say Newcastle and Man City as two but examples, uh, plenty of supports out there are plenty of supporters out there. Just cannot see how the club could possibly be at fault in any way, shape, or form, and we'll defend it, <laughs> defend it regardless. But to me, this this stinks a little bit, and and it's it's very consistent with the sort of adversarial messaging that we've seen quite frequently from the club. It started around the time of the stadium move, the kind of all for Aurora um, idea that if you were if you were somehow raising legitimate concerns about that, then you know you you weren't a true Aberdeen fan. That sort of nonsense. And I suppose it's also been the big partnerships playbook when they um, tried to get the Union Terrace Gardens revamped through as well. So we shouldn't really be surprised at this uh, tone of the messaging. But the attempt to blame a guy who, who was well paid for playing here for 18 years after all. He wasn't you know, a martyr. He wasn't a slave kept here against his will. But he's given really good service to us. And it just all feels really really unnecessary it absolutely does yeah and i think you've absolutely nailed it there it's the it's the tone of tone of the way it's come out it's come out from the club um that we've, that we've seen and though as you say you know it's it started with the stadium um it's continued um that's how it's obviously how the chairman wants to wants the, the club to go be be running going forward um with this type that type of attitude can't say i like it um you know i think that as, as supporters, whether it's you know guys like ourselves that have a podcast, or whether it's the, the you know the red final guys, or whether it's just somebody who goes along and pays his money and watches a game, it's I think it's it's up to us to hold the club's feet to the fire when we think think things aren't going right or when we think things are wrong, um, and any sort of dissension being shouted down is 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 completely out of order. Yeah. Um... Listen, I, I guess that's the democratisation of opinion that social media has given us, isn't it? And idiots like <laughs> us can have a podcast and other idiots can can shout at us on social media. And that's fair enough. But um, but yeah, this kind of um, fairly one-sided stuff coming out from the club today in response to a leak which was 
which was just the bold fact, frankly, wasn't it? it? It was just the fact that the offer had been withdrawn. Yeah, you're putting it into a bit more context, but ultimately, all you needed to say was you're owning the decision. Jim Goodwin is owning the decision that he's decided he thinks that money can be better spent elsewhere uh, on the squad next season, which is entirely his prerogative. And, you know, we, we you support the manager in doing that. You kind of have to. I mean, as ever supporters are going to have conflicting views about which players are good and which players are bad, about whether Charles Dunn's a better option to add to your squad than Andy Considine, but um, <laughs> you've got to let the manager make those choices. The, the, it's just the attempt to conflate the issues and to kind of... I, I think you're throwing his agent, and by extension, you're trying to throw Andy Considine under the bus, and I, I discount any suggestion that you are being thrown under the bus by your decision being made public before your messaging came out. Full, fully agree fully agree with you there. It's um, until until we hear anything from the other sides, um, then as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, I think it was pretty poor from the club. I mean, you know, I, I, I doubt Andy Constein is the type to, to to knock up an iPhone note statement, but you never know. We might see something later on this evening or tomorrow. All right, back to your regular scheduled programming. Martin Clunas, also some um, rumoured changes in the backroom team. Um, touched upon potential for new goalkeeping coach earlier with Gordon Marshall seemingly being ushered towards the door. Uh, the surprising change for me, and surprising really because I'm surprised it comes under his remit, is that of uh, Adam Stokes. Yeah, that did seem that did seem a little bit strange, um, but. I, 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 you know, that that news broken, and you just put it down to one of another of the situations where you say that Goodwin wants his own his own men in the in and around. Again, we, as you said, we are not remotely in the know. Um, so if there's if there's if there's any of these kind of rumours flying about about falling outs or whatever, or, you know, we haven't heard them, and we certainly wouldn't get told them. Um, so I just I think that kind of comes down to just him wanting his wanting his own man in the club. Um, what his own kind of staff around them, but it's surprising that that's something he would have have control over. Um, but I, uh, perhaps that's something that is, um, you know, obviously we we we've spoken previously about the structure, um, but obviously like what you no know, the, the roles that the the the, the, the higher ups have, like Stephen Gunn and all that. So it's maybe something that you no know, that when Goodwin's came in, he's asked to be in, to have, you know. Full control over something like that and get his own guys in. Um, one thing I was also mentioned there on about the, um, the, the, the the rumors about Jamie Longfield. I'm sure I read that Jamie Longfield doesn't actually have the right badges to be a not a full a full goalkeeping coach. Um, I'm sure I read I read that somewhere. So um, hopefully that saves us from that um, that conversation going forward. I'm sure you could just ask him on Twitter, Martin, except he's probably blocked you. Um, he actually hasn't. I'm <laughs> safe. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a big summer. We all knew that. Um, but, um, yeah, still some it's some early signs of what changes are going to be brought about by, by Jim Goodwin and, and direction of travel. Um, just a, a few minutes to, to talk with our guest, Gillian Campbell. Now, Gillian, you have uh, worked as an analyst for the Scotland women's national team and i'm really interested to, to understand you know what was your route to doing that um i mean is it something which you did as an something extra on top of already doing your coaching badges already pursuing a coaching career or is it a separate path and a separate route that you can you can pursue 
Um, I suppose my route might have been different to some. I was still playing when I started doing uh, some video analysis stuff mm-hmm. because I was my, my day job at that point was a PE teacher. So I was playing Premier League football, uh, not very well. I was definitely a better coach than I was a player. But the, the club I was at, we took them from third, third division up to the Premier League and played a couple of seasons there before being bought for a pound by Celtic Football Club. Um, at that point, I was sort of player coaching anyway, and, and when Celtic took over, uh, I just slotted in as an assistant coach at that point. Uh, but yeah, I had been doing bits and pieces of analysis, and because I'd been doing player coach, I'd worked with the national team staff a bit. Right, okay. And going on kind of coach education trips and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it, it started from doing kind of video analysis through higher PE classes, etc. Uh, they used to, at that point, just film national games and then put it on the computer later, whereas I was able to go in and do sort of live coding, live tagging analysis uh, and change slightly how we did things. So that was 2010. I started with the national team and I, I kind of wound up after the World Cup in 2019 to, to, to stick, take a step back and try and get some some uh, balance in my life um, and use some annual leave days for holidays rather than just football <laughs> trips. Equally, though, those uh, football trips must have uh, been pretty special in themselves because uh, you did, as you say, see Scotland through to the to the World Cup finals in 2019, becoming the first Scotland team to, to qualify for a World Cup final since uh, 1998. It was um, it was a journey that really, really increased the focus and really increased the interest among uh, around the, the Scotland women, women's national team. When you were out there for the finals, did, did you get the sense of how big a deal it was back home? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, was, it was really special. I mean, one of my favourite trips ever was uh, in Albania, where we, we found out we qualified. It was a really, really special uh, special game. Um, but yeah, the, the enormity of it as we were driving, uh, particularly through Paris and, and our sort of branded coach and, and just to see the scale of things, uh, you know, the, the crowd at Stade de, Stade de France for the uh, our final game against Argentina. Just, yeah, and, and we were, you know, the players sometimes choose to step away from social media. I didn't, and my phone's usually glued to my hand. So I was aware of, of all the kind of conversation and, and the increase in that. And it started two years before, because the, the 2017 that the Euros was our first major final. Uh, and I, th- I don't mean we were spooked by it, but um, it was our first time experiencing that. I don't think we played as well as we, we could have done. Um, we felt a bit more ready for the World Cup, but it was it was definitely a level above the Euros two years before. Yeah, of course. In 2017, um, went won the final game um, at the group stages. Um, in 2019, there was that, well, that, heartbreaking I suppose game <laughs> against Argentina um, where a yeah. 3-0 lead evaporated in the last half hour um, again just just talking about about the analysis uh, path it, there is that is a separate actual uh, path that you can pursue and get badges in isn't it yeah you need a, a reasonable level of coaching I think if, if most Premier League clubs etc would be, expect you to have a minimum of I'm not sure if it's A or B license in coaching. Okay. If you were going to be an analyst at that level, um, yeah, you, you need to you need to have a pretty good understanding of of, of coaching and, and. So you would have to. You couldn't just walk in off the street and start that career. You'd have to go through the initial coaching badges before you could 
you could start doing the analysis path, so to speak? Well, I mean, I guess you, you can get entry level uh, if you want to just go along and help film out like your local uh, junior team or sort of uh, youth youth football, and they might be glad of any any support. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you if you're talking about the sort of the top end of things, uh, yeah, you you need to experience. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of kind of graduate intern opportunities and things like that. Um, my, my route in was probably quite different to, to most analysts. And um, you you know you you started talking about what you brought to the role with the Scotland team that that maybe wasn't there before. It, is that something that? It was a challenge throughout your time with Scotland, maybe fighting for those resources, not having the same level of resources that perhaps the the men's team might have uh, might have. Uh, I, I always felt quite well supported. I mean, we we had the equipment. It wasn't that. It was uh, uh, just the, the kind of the skill set uh, that that I brought that meant we were able to do a little bit more kind of uh, in, in real time. The, certainly the resources got better towards the end of my, my time with Scotland. Um, they, they sort of started investing on, in an analysis department. Uh, I was never full-time with the SFA. I've, uh, I work in education and I would never want to be full-time. Um, I like the balance. But they had a couple of full-time analysts, so there was a bit of a department. They, they got new equipment in that was kind of shared across the, the men's and women's squad, like the... Uh, I've forgotten what the name of it is. The the, the camera for the training pitch at Orion, which uh, kind of up in the sky, it looks like a, a fancy sort of um. Or the drone camera. Bulb. Yeah, the three sixty camera, etc. Um. So so, we started getting more gadgets certainly towards the, the last few years I was involved, but uh, I always felt like I had the tools that I needed, even when the investment in the women's game generally probably wasn't as good as it could have been in the in the early days. And again, on the subject of investment, um, we've seen, I mean, obviously within Scotland, Rangers and Celtic are currently have a semi-professional model. Um, Hearts are moving towards that as well. Um, do you think, do you hope that it's something that Aberdeen considers in the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I think Emma's done a great job at Aberdeen uh, and it's good to have another female coach in the, in the league. Uh, there's not enough. I think Rangers have, have, have really stepped up and invested. Um, they were quite supportive in the time I was there for a couple of years just with uh, the former Scotland assistant Angie Hind. I moved there with her um, and, and we got reasonable support but they really stepped up in the last couple of years as have Celtic. Glasgow City have always been sort of semi-professional well, the last few five or six years probably semi-professional and like you say Hibs, Hibs are now uh, doing more so hopefully Aberdeen now step up as well. I saw an interview with Klopp yesterday where he was talking about Liverpool getting uh, promoted the women's team from the championship up and how the club need to do a better job of supporting. And I think there have been signs of an uh, Aberdeen it becoming more integrated. Um, but being based in the Central Belt, I, I work for Celtic and Rangers. I haven't had much involvement other than playing against Aberdeen ladies, unfortunately. Um, obviously, we had that we had the game at Pataudry, um a couple of uh, weeks ago, Martin, which uh, was the first time that the ladies' team have, have played there. Certainly, since they formally came under the umbrella of uh, of um, the of the Pataudry side. Now, that was a success in everything but the scoreline. I think, Martin. Yeah, it was a good evening. I was I was there at the game, and um, I'd been banging the drum for the women's team getting to play at Pataudry from 
the the the, the previous seasons the, the, the at the time that Aberdeen um, secured now it might not have been going up but I think the time the time before that when I think they secured getting up into SWPL two. But again, with the, I, th- I think it might not have been an opportunity when they actually got up again due to the COVID restrictions for for supporters. But out of they, they got an opportunity to come and show the the trophy off and, and the ground. But I was always adamant, why don't they get an opportunity to play at Pitodri? And 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 finally it happened. So it was a fantastic experience. The and what was really encouraging is that um, you know it's clearly an inspiration for a lot of the. The, the the young girls and women who get an opportunity to actually see role models on the pitch and something to aspire to for themselves. There was an, a, a huge amount of young girls and, and, and women and, and families at the ground. So, you know, in, in some respects, a very different atmosphere and vibe from what you would maybe get uh, for, for with, with with the men's game. Um, it was interesting what, what, what you were both saying in relation to the comparative... Um, financial situations of the teams as well. I mean, I know that Rangers have a number of their players on full-time contracts, the same with Celtic, who um, I went to saw, I went to see Aberdeen play Celtic at Balmoral on the Sunday as well. So again, um, unfortunately on the wrong end of both results, but both competitive matches, both finishing 2-0. And clearly there's a huge amount of ability in the Aberdeen women's team at the moment. Um, but the, the one thing which is, you know, really obviously different is just the level of preparedness that, that, that the two teams have. It's, it's clear that one team, you know, the teams like Rangers and Celtic are showing the benefit of those players that are, you know, that's effectively for, for a lot of them. That's what they're doing day in, day out is, you know, preparing for and playing top level football. And um, what the Aberdeen women team have managed to achieve, you know, with essentially, I mean, obviously they have the, you know, they have the backing of the club. They are part of their, you know, it's, it's, it was a good move with um, Aberdeen for them to be brought into the Aberdeen FC banner a number of seasons ago um what i would personally like to see though is um a recognition of that success going further from just getting the opportunity to play at Pitodri to actually getting some financial backing um you know credit to the the, the here we go podcast have put their crowdfunded money where their mouths are and they've provided sponsorship for a number of the players but i i think aberdeen i think they're currently sitting in fifth in sp uh, at, um, swpl1 which Considering that the teams above and around them are all either players on full full professional contracts or or, or part time outfits, um, it would be good for us. To, I think the next aspiration for the women's team is to get a, a similar backing, and if if the performances on the pitch are what they're able to manage already without that, you know, who knows what they might be able to achieve with that backing going forward. Well, I guess generally another aspect is that uh, from next season, the um, SPFL are actually taking charge of the um, women's uh, of the national leagues, certainly the top two divisions um, of the league. Do you think that's going to make any concrete difference? Do you think that's going to lead to a more integrated marketing approach, if nothing else, with the men's game? I, honestly, I'm I'm not sure what difference it will make. Um... It, so Fiona McIntyre has moved from the SWF on a, on a secondment and that's somebody who knows the women's game has done a good job since coming into post a year or two ago um, so yeah I mean I hope it is a positive move um, but, but I'm, I'm really not sure how, how that's going to go but yeah no all credit I think um, just to touch on what Martin was saying about Aberdeen I think that the on the pitch performances have been very good anytime I've seen Aberdeen this season 
I think Emma's done a, a lot with pretty limited resources, so it'll be interesting to see how far they could go. Uh, next next year's league is going to be 12 teams. Um, I think Dundee United maybe going up as well. Um, so it'll be interesting. There's always been, even since I've, ever since I've been involved in women's football, quite a gap in that league. The kind of top few teams that are better resourced in, in Central Belt in the women's game where still the majority of players have, have full-time jobs. Um, th- th- there is quite a gap. Um, Aberdeen have always had some really good players. I think Kim Little coming from uh, Mint Law, Rachel Corsi from Aberdeen, um, Rachel Small, Natalie Ross, some really, really good national team players coming from that area. But as soon as they were kind of university age, that they moved away to to study or to, or to play professionally so uh, yeah it'll, it'll be interesting the next couple of seasons to see if, if the club can support a more professional approach uh, I know and whether the um, yeah SPL coming coming on board to look after the, the kind of leadership of the game makes a difference as well yeah because again with regards to Aberdeen I suppose at the moment fifth in the table feels like a kind of glass ceiling given the um, power of the sides above them uh, and I suppose the the winning tradition of the sides above them as well in many respects yeah I, I think uh, fifth is, is, has been a, a good season for them um, I mean, uh, yeah, like you say, you're competing against Rangers. It, it looked like a really good performance. I, I'm trying to remember the, the, the first goal, the, the, the goal that Pataudry wasn't till into the second half, I don't think. But, I mean, they've got not only full-time players, most of them full-time players, but they've got full-time staff. They've got a full-time analyst, physio, um, manager, assistant manager. Uh, so the, the level of detail you can go into in planning and training sessions like you say there can be that balance of rest and and hard work during the training it makes a big difference yes and it i suppose it's about for aberdeen's perspective it is going to be about building building that infrastructure putting those blocks in place it, it would be a big commitment clearly to um to put the money into turning into to, to becoming semi-professional with a women's team but it has to be seen as an investment in the future of that team, in the future of women's football in this part of the country. And I suppose in terms of engagement, and you know, Martin talking about the amount of young girls who were at the game at Pataudry a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I'm sure we're, we're also seeing as a result, no doubt, of 2017 and 2019, more young girls actually actively playing football as well, aren't we, Gillian? Yeah, 100%. Um... I think that's this was something we've worked really, really hard at over uh, kind of the, the small community that is women's football. We, we for a long time complained about not getting enough media attention, and I do think we're we're starting to get that now. You know, there there are games on Sky Sports, uh, albeit uh, mostly the the English league, but a lot of Scottish players based down there. Um, but BBC Alba and BBC Scotland putting on. Um, uh, women's um women's games from Scotland it is really, really positive. Um. But yeah, the, 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 I did notice tonight, just before I came on, that the, the national team players have started uh, tweeting about the fact that, that Hamden, they've only opened two small sections and how's that helping to grow the game? So I think we've uh, we've made a lot of progress, we've won a lot of battles, but there are, there are still more to do. But I think the game at Pataudry was a big step forward. Uh, any games they've played at Celtic Park and Ibrox, uh, and the same with the, the, 
FAWSL teams down south, they get to play at Emirates or Etihad, they get good crowds, it, it's a real family feel, it's, it's quite different to going to a men's game, it's a kind of family friendly environment, um, but yeah, lots of progress but, but still lots to do, so yeah, what you say with the, the different uh, organisation taking the lead of the, the, the leagues now, it'll be um, intriguing to see what happens. Thanks, Gillian. Thanks for that. And thanks for that discussion on, yeah, it's, it is going to be about pure investment. There might not be the financial return in the initial years, but we are talking about something which you invest in now and hopefully it can grow into something much bigger in the future. Um, so onto the game on Saturday, Ross County, they're in exactly the same position as us, Martin Clunas. They need a win to uh, get into the top six. Does that work in our favour that they actually have to come out and try and take the three points? Oh, I think I think it I think it does a little bit. Um, you know the the worry is that they'll be they, you know they'll be looking at us, you know, looking at being a bit you know, defensively you know, suspect and thinking that they could perhaps just sit back and you know try and play on the counter um, and get to us. But you know like you say, they need a win. We need a win. Um, I don't think we're going to see one of these, no, one of these end-to-end open attacking games anyway. Because I think we'll probably see two quite two teams that are maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit nervous. Because there's a lot, there's a lot to play for. I know. I'll say a bit. I'll say it a bit slower. I get. I'll say it again. A bit slower and a bit louder for those at the back. Hibs will one hundred percent absolutely Hibs this on Saturday. We have got a fantastic chance of getting into that top six. Um, Your overriding confidence on that makes me want to go and put money on a Hibs victory, by the way, Martin, such as your record at these kind of Richard, things. Richard, I know you would never <laughs> bet against Aberdeen. It's not of really betting crisis. against Aberdeen, is it? It's just betting against a circumstance which involves, you know, influences the Aberdeen outcome. But no, uh, no, it's just my guarantee, my certainty that you'll be wrong, I suppose, is probably not <laughs> the point. Gillian, uh, th- my worry is that this is an occasion and it's not a huge amount of pressure or expectation because you know the prize on offer isn't massive but just like with the Dundee United game a few weeks in front of full house at there will be a degree of expectation and pressure on this team and repeatedly this season they've shown that they can't handle it very well absolutely we've mentioned mentality quite a few times tonight um and Malky Mackay, I know he's quite a divisive figure. I work with him a little bit at the SFA and it was no surprise to me that the, the good job that he's done at Ross County because he, um, he is a very good coach and, and somebody that, you know, um, sitting next to at a game uh, offers a lot of really great insight. So he, he's done a good job at Ross County, so it won't be easy, as you pointed out, two, two draws in the last games and actually the game before that was the rather embarrassing 4-1, I think it was. I think we're going back to December December 2020 since we've beaten them. Could that be right? It uh, could it's, well be, yeah. It's certainly been quite with... a while. So sometimes when I least expect Aberdeen to pop up with a, a great result, great performance, it happens, usually against Rangers. Um, so I, I really hope we can. Uh, there's a lot riding on it. Because uh, we, I talked before about that sort of um, winning becoming a bit of a habit. If we can get a good result, hopefully Hibs Hibs it. Um, uh, I love your confidence, Martin. Um, and, and then, you know, from there, maybe kick on and have a positive end to the season that will set us up nicely for next year. 
and hopefully a, a good summer of recruitment will help uh, prepare for next season. But yeah, I, I, I agree with the comment that was made earlier about it's not just about seeing out this season. There's 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 a lot of work to be done. People who need to kind of prove that they're worthy of of the jersey. Um. So yeah, I, I think it will be the most nervous I've been for a game in a while, but but looking forward to it as well. I suppose above all else, Martin Ingram, it is uh, Operation Avoid the League Cup group stage. Absolutely. For, for for anybody that thought it was getting boring qualifying for European football seasons after season, I think they'll be rapidly changing their tune at the moment. Um, be, I, I, I noticed the, the, there was news about that there's going to be, I think two of the Highland League clubs are going to be allowed to compete in the tournament next season. So a chance to play the Brock or Bucky um if we if we don't make it so but but other other than that which well actually i actually we genuinely look forward to a game against Fraser or, or, or bucky in the in the league cup so I'm maybe not the best person to be arguing for that but no um i would maintain that as poor a season as we've had so far the the, the squad that we have should still be capable of finishing fourth at the end of the season the the biggest hurdle is this week's one because this is where the arbitrary axe falls if you're not on the correct side of the the top six bottom six split that opportunity is uh removed from you for the remainder of the season so it, it is what made it so i mean coming back full circle it's what made it so annoying losing that late goal against dundee because um f- first of all it was the it was probably the best opportunity we had i mean forget getting getting top six again if the aspiration is top four that was probably our most winnable remaining game this season to get points to go for fourth if naturally if we manage to make it all the rest of our games are going to be against top six opposition so you know but but for for the point in hand the most important thing at that time was to keep things in their own hands they're not anymore all all that Aberdeen can do is focus on the game in hand and it's going to be an important three points regardless we're, we're hoping that will mean it will continue our push into the top six and, and and pushing for that European spot but even if we don't ultimately make it we're if we end up in you know if Hibs don't Hibs it um we're going to need those points to make sure we're as far away from St Johnson and St Mirren and Livingston as possible um it's going to be uh I think it's going to be a harder game um against Ross County than it was against Dundee. Of all the teams around, I don't know how many people uh, are uh, a view from the terrace watchers, but um, I'm particularly taken by this concept of the glob. Of all the teams that are currently in the glob, I think Ross County is probably in the best form of all of them. Um, There was a team that was far, far poorer that came to Pitaudry, well, tail end of last year, and we still couldn't beat them. So having to take on a team that's um, probably in, you know, in better form than we are, that's going to be a real challenge. But opportunities as well. I mean, I think it's still, I think it's still possible it would take a weird set of circumstances or a weird set of results. I think it is possible at Ross County could still squeak into top six with a, with a draw. But realistically, they're in the same position as we are, where they're going to have to go out and go for a win. They've definitely got the attacking ability to to do that. I think one of the um, players of the season there's probably been their striker Regan, Regan Cook um Hung Bo has scored a number of goals for them as well so for a team like us that's got a lot of defensive deficiencies I think you know the chances of us keeping a clean sheet on Saturday are probably slim so 
I think the onus will be on both teams to be on the front foot to be going for the win, but that might suit us as well. If if, if Ross County are going to be coming out and pressing us and trying to get a win, then hopefully we might be able to do the reverse of what most teams did to us under glass and take advantage of any gaps and opportunities at the back from from them pushing forward. And it might, who knows, it might just be one of those classic finishes. I think a number of us will remember Chris Maguire's late goal uh, that got us into the top six many, many seasons ago under Calderwood, and maybe we'll be in for who who, who will be that equivalent hero that will achieve Jim Goodwin's dream of top six football next week. <laughs> yes, well, we've got a few candidates for the Dave Buss role in, in that team. Um, who's going to be the Chris Maguire? Good question. Um, if you can, just give us a one-word answer, Martin. I know that's going against every um, fibre in your body, but uh, are we going to do it or not? That's got shades of uh, Kevin Keegan commentating on England games, isn't it? It's, uh, no, I'm, 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 I'm not going to fall for your sly ruse. The, the Hibs thing's out of our hands, so can, can we win on Saturday? Absolutely. Do I think we'll win? I hope so. Okay, that's about as concise as we can get from you, Martin. But thank you anyway, Gillian. Um, are we gonna, are we gonna do it? Uh, always the optimist. Yeah, I think from our point of view, we can, we can win the game. Um, and then let's just hope that, that Hibs Hibs it and, and job's done uh, Martin you already are convinced that Hibs are going to lose and um, you, given your past history you're going to reckon that one win in, 12, in the last 12 league games is no barrier to us winning on Saturday Absolutely not. The glasses, the glasses, no, more than half full here, Richard. Um, I couldn't be more convinced that we're going to do it. And they call us miserable. Uh, anyway, that <laughs> will be our show for tonight. Uh, my great thanks to um, Gillian Campbell for joining us. Gillian, thank you so much. No, thank you. It's been fun. Uh, to Martin Ingram, Martin, get writing that next uh, edition of the Red Final, please. <laughs> I'll, I'll see what we can do. And uh, again, thanks once again for having me on. It's always brilliant doing these. Thanks. And to Martin Cleanest. Thanks, Martin. Cheers, Richard. Uh, we'll be back with you sometime. Um, uh, but I hope you enjoyed listening to tonight's show where we've caught up on what's been happening uh, during our recent sabbatical. Um, until next time, come on, you Reds.